Today, we're going to begin. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and uh, keep it up so the ushers can get one to you. And if you don't own a Bible, we want you to have a Bible. And if you'd like to, you could take that one home. Just let us know so we can fill up our shelves and continue to to have Bibles available to you uh, here on Sundays. And if you're taking that Bible, please read it. It's not just to go on your shelf. Read that Bible. Read your Bible. Seek the Lord. Draw near to him. Uh, But today, we begin this week leading up to Christmas. I can't believe it, right? When we say Merry Christmas, we think Christmas is one week from today. Uh, This year has gone by so quickly. And and as we begin this week, we're going to be doing a study here starting today, uh, today, then Christmas Eve, and then next Sunday, looking at this Christmas series, so to speak, and uh, we're studying through some different things and perspective in in the Christmas celebration according to the Word of God. Um, We're focusing here on a theme this year that is with us, talking about the fact that we, of course, can recognize that God is with us. Uh, the name Emmanuel means God with us, and, and that's a celebration truly of not just Christmas, but of Christianity, that we can recognize that God is with us in the good times and the bad times. We can recognize that God has always been present, and of course, he represented that through sending his son, and we celebrate that in the birth of Jesus, and now to this day we can still proclaim the same truth that God is still with us, and he will forever be with us. He is present. And as we look at this series here this year, we're going to begin really with John chapter 1 verse 14 being our outline for the studies uh, this week. In John chapter 1, verse 14, says this. We're going to be bouncing around in the scriptures today, so be ready. John 1, 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, we thank you for your word again, and we just give you all the glory today. We fix our eyes on you today, and we ask that by your word you would minister to our hearts, God, that you would move in this place, that we would know that you are with us. We love you, Lord. We trust you. And Lord, we lift up those among us, or those who are maybe not able to be with us today, those who are hurting, those who are suffering, those who are struggling, Lord, be it pain, be it sickness, Lord, be it injury, be it emotional, be it spiritual, Lord. We give you all of our burdens. We cast them all before you today, and we ask that you would move in a mighty way, that you would minister to our hearts, Lord. We continue to pray for Jim Lorita, who's in the hospital now awaiting a heart transplant We pray that you would strengthen him, Lord, and continue to use him. And Lord, we give you glory for the the two people that he's led to you in this past two weeks. Those who have come to relationship with you, we pray that you continue to use him, Father. We give you praise. 
Lord, we continue to pray for Bob Voorhees. Would you touch him and heal him, Father? We look to you, God. We trust in you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we have this passage, we have this verse in John chapter 1, being our outline, we're, we're going to be focusing in on this, just this first phrase really today, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we start with this idea that he became flesh. The word is Jesus. In John chapter 1, it tells us in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, he was in the beginning with God. And the word is logos, the word is speaking of Jesus, that he was in the beginning with God. And as we have Christ in the beginning with God, we have a representation of the deity of Christ, we have a representation of the Trinity Right? And we have a representation of what John's talking about in that he, Jesus, the Word, became flesh. Now that's John's approach to the Christmas story. It's very simple, very basic. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Now Matthew in his gospel, which we're going to be looking at a bit today, speaks of what this story played out as, or Luke talks more about it, right? And we have more detail on the story of how the Word became flesh. But even before all of that, this has been prophesied of for many, many years. And if you would turn with me in your Bibles back to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, we're going to spend a bit of time here, and if you want to get ahead, you can put your finger in and mark your spot in Matthew chapter 1 as well. These are the two passages we're going to be looking at. Today, Isaiah chapter 7, we will read here beginning with verse 10 through 14. It says, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, hear now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He became flesh. Now this was spoken of, here these are Hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. And in fact, this has been prophesied of all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. That Christ would come. That there was going to be a Messiah. And now here is a specific prophecy of Jesus the Messiah. First of all, we recognize the context here that God offered a sign a challenge to King Ahaz to believe and be blessed. And this sign was to help in a time of need. And Ahaz rejects the sign from God out of fear, perhaps, in that he, it wasn't a good thing for him, as he said, to challenge God. Out of doubt, questioning whether God was even present because of all the adversaries that were coming against them. And that's what Isaiah even told him. He said, but ask God for a sign. And in this, 
fear and in this doubt, it reveals a sign of the inward issue of the heart. The inward issue of the heart is rejection, unbelief. He says, I will not ask, rejecting. It's unbelief is the problem here. That's a root of the problem. He says, nor will I test. Now, traditionally, you can, he can look back at some of the ancestors and, and think, man, I, you know what? I'm not going to be like Gideon. I'm not going to test the Lord like Gideon. I'm not going to ask for a fleece. But yet Gideon, even in asking for a fleece from the Lord, is walking by faith. He has a heart that's open to say, truly, Lord, I trust in you, but help my unbelief. And it's not a lack of faith to even ask for the sign from the Lord. Sometimes we give ourselves a hard time and we respond in fear thinking, I cannot possibly ask God for a sign. But truly, it is walking by faith. As men and women of faith, we can say, Lord, would you please show me? Because I have a problem. I'm a human and I have a finite mind. It's a recognition as we walk by faith of seeing how great and mighty God is. And how insignificant we are. And so here's a perspective though. He's saying, I will not ask, nor will I test. He's responding in rejection. He's responding in unbelief. He's responding in fear. And he's responding in doubt. We have to challenge ourselves in those times. In those places when everything seems like it's against us that we have so many adversaries, that life is so difficult, and there's every reason not to believe, there's every reason to doubt, there's every reason to respond in fear, but yet, how do we respond? Would we ask for a sign? And in fact, the world was full of fear, doubt, unbelief, and rejection in that day. In fact, the world is currently full of fear and doubt and unbelief and rejection of the truth. This is the world we live in, crippled by fear and doubt. A world that gives Jesus the stiff arm. A world that is constantly rejecting the truth of the word of God. You see, he became flesh and dwelt among us to address the fear, the doubt, the unbelief, and the rejection. Here in verse 14 is the clear prophecy of the Messiah as it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Therefore, now this is God's plan being revealed on how God plans to address the unbelief, how God plans to address the doubt and the fear that was all over the world. 
So therefore, because of the unbelief, because of the doubt and the fear, the rejection of God, God has a plan. The Lord himself. Now Isaiah was a messenger. He was sent to bring a message of good news. Hey, ask God for a sign. God is with you. And then there's doubt, but now, hey, you know what? Because of your doubt, because of the unbelief, the Lord himself will do it. Isaiah's like, you know what? I can't. You have wearied me enough. Will you weary God as well? You know what? He's going to do it. He's going to show up. He's going to show you. That's what Jesus is. That's who he is. He will show you. The Lord himself will do it. You are weary. You make one another weary. You attempt to make God weary. Wrestling with God constantly. Yet he will do it. He himself will take care of the problem and he himself will actually show up. Now this is one of the most famous prophecies regarding the birth of Jesus. And this passage here clearly speaks of Jesus. We know it because of a few things here. The one he addresses, O house of David, right? Out of the lineage of David comes the Messiah, Jesus. And so he addresses the house of David. We see that fulfilled in Christ. It speaks of a virgin birth. There's only one that can be spoken of. There is only one true virgin birth. And others might try to claim it throughout history. And some have tried to explain away the virgin birth throughout history. But they try and fail. We'll get further into it a little bit later here as Matthew speaks of this. And of course, we know this to be speaking of Jesus because it is speaking of Emmanuel. God with us, and there is none other than Jesus, the Messiah, who is God with us. This clearly speaks of Jesus. Matthew refers to it and clarifies the fulfillment of this prophecy in Matthew chapter 1, which we already read this morning, and we're going to spend some time there in a few moments. But think about this, that Christ put on human flesh, God Put on human flesh, who was in the beginning, before time, right? In Ephesians, in our study, we talked about before the foundation of the world, Father, Son, and Spirit made a plan for redemption. Now, this plan is being set in motion as God put on human flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. He is God, and he put on human flesh. And there are no other gods who have done this. There's so many false religions in the world and there's so many other so-called gods that would claim to be mighty, that would claim to offer something, some sort of hope to people, but it's all hopeless because there's only one God who put on human flesh. He became one of us to change the world, acquainted himself with sin and suffering. He is God with us. And he's never been absent. He's always been present. In the celebration of the birth of Jesus, we celebrate the presence of God. 
We recognize that he is with us. That he came at the right time in history. And that he is still with us. He came at this time in the fullness of time. When God saw fit, he came at the exact right time to address the unbelief and rejection and fear and doubt and discouragement. And you know what, guys? He's still here. Sometimes we think, well, where, why can't we just have the, the Messiah show up again? He's been here. He is with us. And you know what? We're seeing, we're living in a day that perhaps we will see the time that Christ will come again. And he will rule in power. He will reign in power. But here we get to see this fulfillment of prophecy, this fulfillment of prophecy that claims the deity of Christ. And in this fulfillment of prophecy, there's a fulfillment of promise. There's so many promises throughout Scripture. One of of the most impactful and repeated promises throughout Scripture is that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And we can repeat that to ourselves. And you may have heard it said a thousand times before in church. You may have said it to yourself a thousand times before. God will never leave you nor forsake you. He proved it. He proved it in sending his son, Jesus, at the right time to address the unbelief and the doubt and the fear. He fulfills a promise. And what an amazing thought and proclamation this is. God with us. Because Jesus came and fulfilled the work of salvation, he is still with us. And through belief in him, we, we understand that he is always with us because he is in us. He's with us in our joy. He's with us in our sorrow. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That's who Jesus is. He's with us in our praise. For the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And he's with us even in our time of doubt so that he can eliminate the doubt so that he can show up in our lives, so that we can have encounters with Jesus, drawing near to him, in fellowship with him. He made a way for fellowship. You see, this is all of what we're celebrating. That's what Christmas is. It's just a celebration of life in Christ. And every bit of of the, the story of salvation begins long before the birth of Christ, But it was set in motion here by the birth of Christ, the fulfillment of it. His fulfillment of prophecy and promise eliminates doubt. And his birth was the sign that fear, doubt, and unbelief don't stand a chance. Think about that for a moment. The birth of Christ is a sign that fear, doubt, and unbelief don't stand a chance. 
So what are we holding on to here today? What are we still doing living in fear? What are we doing still holding on to unbelief or doubt? The presence of Jesus, the birth of Christ, has eliminated these things. So then today, in this year 2022, almost 2023, we can have confidence. In the celebration of Christmas, we have confidence because there's confidence in Christ. Eliminating fear and doubt, eliminating darkness, even as John chapter one says that he is the light of life. He's the source of life. And eliminating silence. There were 400 years in which there was not a prophet speaking to the nation of Israel. These were 400 years that were known as the, the silent age. And think about that, 400 years of what they thought was God's silence. Jesus then shows up, this baby in a manger, in all humility, and eliminated the silence. Turn with me now over to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, as we already read even this morning, this is the clarity of the fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7. Matthew speaks about that. He references it directly. He quotes it directly here. And in verse 18, as it says, then now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together... He was found with child, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Before they came together, so now this verifies the virgin birth. During their betrothal time. Now, the betrothal is, is like a step between being engaged and being married, right? It's the in-between time, but there was a label to it. And that, in that, it was a binding agreement, the betrothal. Uh, the couple would be known as husband and wife at that point. They, this betrothal could only be broken by a divorce. And this was, of course, before the wedding and before the consummation of the marriage. Those are key points here. And Matthew just states it plain as day. He states it plainly. To say this is before the marriage, this is a betrothal time, and this is before they came together to consummate their marriage. So how possibly could Mary be pregnant? Matthew states it plainly because Matthew has done his research, and he's landed on an answer. That Mary, in fact, was a virgin. And, and understand who Matthew is. He's a detail guy. He was a tax collector. He was an accountant, so to speak, paying attention to all the little details. And you know what? He represents it well in verse 1 through 17 that we're not going to read today because there's a lot of names that we'll probably get wrong. But it shows Matthew's attention to the detail to then verify his following statements to say, guys, I've done my research. Let me tell you, 
This is during their betrothal. This is the Virgin Mary we're talking about. This is how it is all coming to pass according to the scripture. He says it so matter of fact, plain as day, because he knows what he's talking about. Matthew had done the research. And he draws a line for us from here, back to Isaiah chapter seven, very clearly marking Christ as the fulfillment of the prophecy. Now, verse 19 then, it says, then Joseph, her husband, and see, they label him as her husband because that's what they would be labeled as during the betrothal time. Being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly. What this is telling us here is that Joseph was absolutely considering a divorce. Joseph was struggling to even press into the truth. Joseph was struggling with the same doubt and unbelief that so many people before and after struggle with. But even so, as a just man wanted to put, put her away secretly, he wanted to divorce her secretly. And remember I said this, could only, this betrothal could only be broken by a divorce. So that would have been necessary. He didn't want to make an example of her, though. The assumption on Joseph's part, the assumption would be that she had not been pure and that she had strayed away from their relationship. So the rightful response, the justified response, would be a divorce. So as you can imagine, Joseph, he's a bit confused. He's really struggling here. This whole situation is understandably consuming his thoughts. Verse 20 then says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Joseph's mind was consumed by his current situation. Mary's mysterious pregnancy and his assumed divorce. His thoughts were clouded with so much fear and doubt to the point that he's dreaming about these things. You guys ever do that? I mean, you have certain thoughts that are consuming your mind on a regular basis, and then you go to sleep, and you wake up, and you're like, I dreamt about that thing, right? There's different things that will consume your thoughts even when you're sleeping, But now here, based on all of these thoughts that are consuming him and the struggles that he's going through, an angel appeared in a dream. That's what Joseph needed. Joseph needed to see God through a dream. 
He needed to hear the word of the Lord through a dream. Now, this is not the angel of the Lord, but it is an angel of the Lord. God sent a message for Joseph. This is all part of the sign. This angel appeared to give him what he, need, he needed to believe. And this angel proclaimed truth. Truth was needed. Now, there's nowhere before this that indicates that Mary had told Joseph what happened. He may just have come up with his own assumptions and thought, you know what? This is a problem. Mary's pregnant. And here he is thinking that he's going to divorce her, but yet under this, this influence of the Holy Spirit, things change. This angel proclaimed truth that he needed to hear. In proclaiming truth, it prevented divorce. It eliminated fear and doubt, and it demonstrated the power of the Holy Spirit. That she is pregnant of the Holy Spirit. This is a miracle. That's what the angel is speaking to Joseph. Easy for him to believe because an angel showed up to him in his dream. And said, do not be afraid because there's an issue here, and that issue is doubt and fear. So he said, do not be afraid, and now believe. Now here's the truth. And that truth is easy to handle when there's such a miraculous thing taking place. The angel proclaimed truth. The angel proclaimed joy that she will give birth to a child. Praise God for that life. And the angel proclaimed hope. His name will be Jesus. And he shall save his people. There is hope. Verse 24 then, Joseph being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. You see, Joseph woke up. You gotta wake up. When God is speaking, you gotta wake up. And you gotta respond. He woke up and he responded in obedience. He was a just man. We already established that. And he was able to be used by God because he was an obedient man. He was surrendered to the word of the Lord. He was obedient to the word of the Lord. And now these names. There's two names here that, that are addressed. And one goes back to Isaiah chapter 7. And the other, of course, is the name Jesus that's here in Matthew chapter 1. And the name that we... we Hail above all names, the name of Jesus. When we talk about the name Emmanuel, which it says it means God with us. It means so much and has for so many years and will forever mean so much because he is God with us. He's the Messiah. 
It shows how low God stooped down to save us. It shows the miracle of putting on human flesh. And it represents the possibility of fellowship between God and man. Thinking back to the fellowship that God had created with man at the very beginning. Adam and Eve were walking about in the garden, naked and unashamed, with with free access to God, with direct access to God, with this great fellowship with God, but then sin broke that fellowship with God. Later in, in Genesis, it says that God was searching for them in the garden, not to stomp on them, not to wipe them out. God was searching and seeking for fellowship with them in the garden. And now here, we fast forward, and God made a way for fellowship because he put on human flesh. He's given this opportunity for fellowship between God and man, made possible only through the birth of Christ. This was the only way. And this is what God's plan was from the beginning, before the foundation of the world. Further here, we have the name Jesus. Jesus means salvation of Yahweh. It was actually a common name in that day. How many people named their kid Jesus in that day, thinking, hmm, maybe, maybe he would be salvation? And we all, maybe not all, but many of us, we name our kids with an intent, right? Like a, like a prophetic word over their life sometimes. We're like, oh yes, we're going to name them this so that they will be that way. And you know what? There's a problem. Sin. <laughs> By the grace of God, they turn out okay. By the grace of God, we, we entrust them to the Lord and, and, and see that they walk with him, but How many parents, perhaps, named, because it was a common name in that day, naming their their child Jesus. I mean, my kid's name is Michael. It means who is like the Lord. I mean, it's not true. My name is Michael. It's obviously not true. (laughs) But there's this one time in all of the history of the world that the name was true. Jesus, salvation of Yahweh. And now, this is not, of course, a common name, but it's become the name that's above every name. The name of Jesus, and that at that name, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. There is power in the name, Jesus. Power to set the captives free. Power to overcome sin and bondage. Power to live a victorious life. This was all set in motion by God at the right time through the birth of Christ. 
That's what we're celebrating. So I charge you this week, would you remember that? Would you remember what you celebrate this Christmas? Would you remember that Jesus not only was born, but that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose from the dead? Jesus then ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. Remember that this Christmas. That's who Jesus is. Jesus, he will save his people. And now here's here's a, a great thought that goes in line with our study as we study through Ephesians. That he will save his people and new people. There's no longer a wall of separation as we've talked about in Ephesians between Jew and Gentile, but by the blood of Christ are made one. His own special people, Peter says. Jesus, he will save his people. We're not talking about the Jewish people. We're not talking about the Gentiles. We're talking about people who put their trust in Jesus. And proclaim the name of Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. A new people, redeemed by his blood. He will save his people. It says here that he will save his people from sin. He's not, to, he's not sent to save his people from the oppression of the Romans. He's not sent to save his people from their difficulties in life. He's not sent to save people from pain and suffering. In fact, he said, in this life, you will have trials. You will face tribulations. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. He's not come to save us from all of those things. He's come to save his people from sin. Addressing unbelief fear and doubt and rejection. This is who Jesus is. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us and he is here to save us from sin. That we would be set free. That we would put our trust in him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We worship you. We glorify you. We lift high that name, Jesus, the name that's above every name. Father, we just pray for you to move among us now. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you became flesh and dwelt among us, that you put on human flesh to be here, to make a way. We trust you. We love you. Lord, we need you.
Today, as I always do, I want to give you an opportunity to put your trust in Jesus. That's what we're here for. That's what we're all about. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, as I said to you just a moment ago, remember this, this Christmas, this week leading up to Christmas, before getting caught up in all the festivities and the busyness, would you remember that Jesus came to bring salvation? Jesus came to save people from sin. Our responsibility is that we would simply believe and put our trust in him. And so I invite you today, would you put your trust in Jesus? If you've never done that before, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. And as I always say, this is not a magical prayer. It's a confession of faith that I'm just leading you in to help you express these words of faith, this proclamation of faith before the Lord. If you've never done that before, know that Jesus loves you, that he died for your sins to bring salvation. That's what his name means. And he desires a relationship with you that he might have fellowship with you you would live for him and honor and glorify him to be near to him and allow him to work in a mighty way in your life and so if you'd like to do that today you can pray these words you can repeat these words after me say dear Jesus I confess that I'm a sinner and I believe in you I put my trust in you I invite you into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to change me, make me new. I believe that you're the Son of God, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose from the dead. come into my life I need you in Jesus name Amen